You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Uh, Good morning, everybody. I think I've met most of our visitors that are here, and uh, I would really encourage you guys to spend some time uh, just getting to know one another. me and, me and Mark were talking this week about uh, the thing that we want to be most attractive about Red Sea are, are the people, right? I mean, we, we want when you guys come and you interact with one another that you find family and you find relationships and, uh, and you enjoy being around one another and living life together. And so uh, if you're a visitor with us, I pray that, uh, that you just love hanging out with our family. I, I love them. We've, we've been together for years and, and love being out here in St. John's and the work that God is doing here. Um, we are going through a series together as a church that's lasting all year long, uh, and it's called The Road to Emmaus. And so what we've been doing is starting in, in the book of Genesis, and we've been teaching through the, the overarching, the biblical narrative of the Old Testament. Uh, it's one story, right? The Bible isn't a, a series of random stories all thrown together. It's, it's one work, one story, one thing that God is doing. And so we just want to walk through that as a church, and particularly, we believe that this journey is going somewhere, we're, we believe that God is taking us somewhere as his people. So we're going to teach all year long, looking at the big pictures throughout the Old Testament, and then we're going to end at Christmas time with the coming of Christ. Because the Old Testament, everything pointed toward Jesus Christ coming to this earth. And since Jesus Christ came, everything's been pointing back to him. So that's really the goal of what we're doing as a church. Uh, we've been in the Chronicles or the, 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 the Kings era of, uh, of the Old Testament when Israel had kings over them. Over the last two weeks, Royce has taught about David. He did the Davidic covenant, if you guys remember that, in, uh, in 2 Samuel. And do you guys remember when, when he was talking about the, the house where David said to God, I want to build you, you a house? Remember that? And he walked through like what house means and all those all those different um, scenarios or ways that, that he used it. Well, in that story, uh, David says, oh man, I'm, I've, he's built Jerusalem. He's built his king's house for the most part. It's not a palace as much as Solomon's, but he's built a house and he says, I'm living in this house of stone and cedar, but God's living in a tent, right? God had them construct the tabernacle back in Exodus when he brought his people out of Egypt. Uh, the tabernacle was a way that God could be with his people, right? I, to dwell with you, to tabernacle with you. So they had this tent that was surrounded by an outer wall and it had an inner wall. And then inside was the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And that rep- represented the, the physical presence of God with his people. So up until this point, the, the people of Israel have had this, uh, this tent, this holy of holies where God resides. Well, David says, man, that's, that's, that's not cool that I'm in this beautiful palace and God's living in a tent. I'm going to make you a tent. And so he goes to Samuel the prophet and he says, I'm going to make God a, t- a tabernacle. I'm going to make God a, a temple that he can live in that's as, as glorious and grand as he is. And, uh, Nate, and uh, Samuel the prophet says, that's a great idea. You should do that. And then God comes to David that night and says, uh, no, wait, I, I, didn't, I didn't ask you to build me a temple. You know, up, up until now, I've, I've always dwelt in a tent and I've always gone wherever you have gone. Uh, I, I, I'm not asking you to build a, build a temple. Instead, I'll build a house for you. And we talked through the, the Davidic covenant where God said, I will make you a, a nation 
Through you, I will, I will bring my son. Through you, I will bring an eternal kingdom that will last, last forever. If you guys remember that, it's in 2 Samuel seven twelve. If you want to flip your, uh, flip your Bible over there. And uh, in, in that passage, when, he's, when, he's, when God is talking through the covenant, he says in verse 12, uh, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, so David talking, God talking to David, he says, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God tells David in that covenant that he is going to bring up one of his his, uh, his uh, heirs, pretty much, one of his, one of his kids, and he's actually going to let that kid build him a physical temple that, that, that we can dwell in. Well, that introduces Solomon, which is in the, the books of 1st, 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Uh, so the, the message I'm going to teach today is a little tricky because I'm going to jump around between these four books of the Bible a lot. 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles are very similar books in that they cover the same era in Israel's history. Although they're written by two different people, one's written probably by Jeremiah and the other is written by Ezra, they're both written by prophets, but they're written particularly to the people of Israel after they've gone into captivity, uh, which is what we're going to get to a little later on. So, so the, these two books are written to a group of people who are in captivity later on in, in the biblical narrative. And the, pretty much the point of these books is to explain how did we get here? Like, didn't we have a king and didn't he build a temple and weren't we at rest from all of our enemies? Weren't we, hasn't the, hadn't the, the promise that God made to Abraham been fulfilled? How come, how come later on we can find ourselves in captivity in Babylon and the temple destroyed and the, the kingdom destroyed? That's the whole point of why these books are, are, are written. So you have to keep that in mind. So I'm going to jump around a lot between these books. But uh, in, in First and Second Kings and in First and Second Chronicles, uh, it covers David preparing for the building of the temple, Solomon actually building the temple, then uh, the multiple kings that are going to follow Solomon, the division of Israel into two kingdoms, a king over Judah, a king over Israel, those kingdoms warring against one another, and ultimately... Um, the, the people of Israel being dispersed and being brought into captivity uh, in, into, Babylon, into Babylon. So it covers a, a big chunk of, of history there. Um, over the next two weeks, we're going to particularly talk about the role that Solomon had uh, in this kingdom. Uh, we've been talking about a, a lot of individual people that God used in this story. What I want to do is stop today and actually talk about the temple. So we're not going to really hit on Solomon as much. We're going to get to him in the next couple of weeks and what God does through him. But I want to focus particularly on the temple that God asked Solomon to build and what was the purpose of it. Uh, and, and what is the kind of the, the biblical theology of the temple throughout, throughout the scriptures. So it's going to be a lot, but I pray, just as Royce prayed, that, that God's going to speak to us uh, in, in this message. So what we see is, is God uh, tells David that he, one of his sons, Solomon, is going to build a temple. Well, that doesn't stop David from actually preparing for the building of the temple. If he knows, even though he can't build it, he says, you know what, I can at least get it ready for my son Solomon to build. So in 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 3, it says... Uh, it says, uh, and David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon, my son, who alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. 
and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but will be for the Lord God. So I've provided for the house of my God, so far as I was able, the gold from the things of, of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, uh, besides great quantities of, of these precious stones that he lists, and all sorts of uh, stones and marble. And then he goes on and says, I've given timber and wood, and out of my own possessions, I've given large uh, amounts of money uh, and, and materials. Uh, and he's like, and I, I've brought in tradesmen of all different types that are going to build this temple. So David, prepare, David prepares, gives Solomon everything he needs to build the temple of the Lord. Uh, and then Solomon comes along and God says, okay, I'm going to actually build my temple uh, using you. I'm not going to use David because although David was a man after my heart, he was also a man of war. Uh, and you are now a man of peace. You're in a time of rest in Israel, so I'll allow you uh, to build my temple. So imagine Solomon and the opportunity that he has now and the responsibility to build the, Solomon's temple. And you guys know Solomon's temple is, is one of these ancient legends that you hear about even outside of Christianity. When I was reading through it, I kept thinking of uh, the old Alan Quartermain movies. Any of you guys remember those movies? Jim, you're old enough to remember. And does anyone not know who Alan Quartermain is? Okay, about half the room. So it was like pre-Indiana Jones. Uh, and it was this guy that went on these really similar uh, adventures back in, back in the 80s. Uh, and one of them is where he goes to actually find Solomon's temple. And, and that just kept coming back to me in the visuals of that movie. There's a few of us that can appreciate that. Um, it was great. So that's, what, that's kind of what I pictured is this elaborate temple covered in gold. And, and when you read the description of it in Kings and, and in Chronicles, it's, it's an amazing temple uh, that, that he builds to God. He, he employs uh, about 180,000 people to build this temple. Uh, it's made of, uh, of stone and then cedar and then everything is covered in gold on the inside. We actually have a little video off of YouTube that I, that I grabbed that I want you guys to watch. And it's a little cheesy. The music is really cheesy. But we need graphic artists to design our own videos, and we don't have them. So we're going to use the ones off YouTube. <laughs> Anne was busy. Uh, so I want us to watch this video because, for the most part, it, it gives a fairly decent representation of this temple that Solomon uh, builds to God. So uh, let's get the house lights down so we can see it up on the screen. And, uh, and we'll watch, watch this video. Obviously did not approve of the music uh, for that video, so it was dramatically quiet. Um, this is a, a, a rendering that someone did. They took a picture and turned it into a, a, a kind of a 3D video there. Um, you guys can stop it. Um, what, what you saw there was, uh, was the temple that Solomon built with the, the sea. They, the, do you see the, the giant bowl on top of the oxes? That was the sea that was known for... Uh, purification. You had the altar out front. You went inside and there was the lampstands and the tables for uh, the bread of presence, uh, the, the gold, the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the most holy place, which inside was the, was the uh, Ark of the Covenant, which held the Ten Commandments, had the cherubim over it. Let's get the house lights back up. Um, obviously, from seeing that, it, it looked similar to the tabernacle, right, that, that God originally commanded uh, Moses to build, except for Solomon obviously tried to do things much more extravagant. God didn't give the commands and what it should look like necessarily in his temple. So they, they built it based off of actually current architectural, um, uh, a fad that was going on in the empire at, at that time. Um, and he basically, he just took everything that God had commanded Moses and did it a little more extravagant. Uh, one of just the, the cool things about 
uh, about the temple was the fact that uh, in, the, in all the years that it was built, it took uh, 15 years to build the temple, uh, never once was a hammer or a saw heard inside of, the, of, the, of Jerusalem. So what they did was off-site, they built, the, they built everything, and they built it to fit together, and then they just carried it in and just set it up. So it all connected together. Can you imagine having to do that? You know, over 2,500 years ago, trying to build a temple in that way. Uh, God had asked them uh, when he built the original temple, he said, no no stone um, shall be cut inside of of the temple. He didn't, uh, inside of the tabernacle, he didn't tell them they had to do that. He just uh, chose to, Solomon chose to do that. But from the video, you can see the the ambiance of the temple. It's it's amazing. There was nothing like it in all of all of, of Israel and when all of the, the world actually, when, when people would come, like the story of the Queen of Sheba that comes in First Kings, she's just amazed at the architecture of, of what they are able to do. And it's funny, in that video, it just shows the temple. The backdrop to the temple uh, would actually have been Solomon's palace, uh, which was actually five giant homes that, made, that dwarfed the temple. So Solomon builds a house for God. He builds a a true like MTV crib for himself. I mean, it's got palaces and and uh, all types of balconies and and uh, and it, it's it's rather extravagant, which we'll get to later on in the sin of Solomon when we when we talk about that. Um, but what's the point? I mean, what's what's the big deal with with the temple? So so the temple is the place where the Ark of the Covenant is held, right? That's what's so special about the temple. What's so special about the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it contains the Ten Commandments. And what's so special about the Ten Commandments is they represent the physical presence of God on earth. So the temple to the Jews would have represented God being with them. And for them, it would have been the center of the universe. This was the because this was where the physical location of God was, everything Everything rotated around this. And and to the Jews, to be in the temple, to be with God, was one of the greatest honors that you could ever have in life. You can even read some of the Psalms. Psalms 121 through 129 are the Psalms of Ascent. And you guys have heard them before. I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. That's something we quote in church. That's a psalm of ascent. And what it is, it's the people coming into Jerusalem, into this city with its walls. And at the highest point, you have God's temple. And they are, they're working their way up to the temple. They're on a journey and they would sing these songs of ascent to God as they're approaching the temple to be able to give their offerings and their sacrifices, to find atonement for sin, all the things we've talked about up until this point. But what I want to drive home to you guys today, and the temple and all its beauty and the gold and the gems and and all the ways that Solomon designed it that God didn't necessarily ask for, the point of the temple is that God desires for us, his people, to be with him right? That's how God created us to be with him. You were created to be with God in an intimate, even a physical presence. That's the way that he made human beings. When we started this story in the book of Genesis, we looked that God made human beings and God walked with those human beings in a very intimate, close relationship with them. 
It is only because of humanity's sin that they could not be then with God. So God desires for us to be with him. That's very different from saying God desires to be with us. Because we're sinful, right? We're all broken. We can't be with God because of our sinfulness. God is good, he is right, and he is perfect. Although he loves his creation, if we actually were to just approach God, like Christy was praying this morning, to be in the presence of God, God, I wish I could be with you, although I would die. Because God is so holy and we are so sinful, we can't actually be with God. But God still desired for us to be with him. So he made a way for us through this temple, through this tabernacle. He came and he actually dwelt with his people. And the only way that it could happen was through this sacrificial system of the people bringing animals to to pay for their sins as as an atonement for their sin. So then they could actually physically be near God. They couldn't actually go into the Holy of Holies. Only one day a year, one person, one priest, you saw him in the picture, He could actually go into that room once a year. That was the only time anyone could ever be near God in his physical presence. But yet God still desired for us to be near him, so he made a way for us. There's a a lot of different reasons that we want to come to God, right? Nathan, you were praying earlier about your grandmother going to heaven. To go to heaven is one reason that a lot of people want to be near God, right? Who wants to go to hell, right? If you believe in those, those two realities, they are true places. People say, oh, I, I, I want to I go to heaven. Uh, people want to be with God because they, they don't want to face the eternal consequences of, the, of their sin separated from him, right? That's another reason that, that we want to be with God. I think the main reason that we should desire to be with God is because we realize that he is good, he is right, and he's perfect, and we are sinners. And by his grace, he allows us to come into him. That's a a proper response to God. Uh, Jamie posted a a quote from John Piper this week on on Facebook, uh, and it said, test your heart. Why do you want forgiveness? Why do you want to be justified? Why do you want eternal life? is the decisive answer because I want to enjoy God. The gospel love God gives is ultimately the gift of himself. This is what we were made for. This is what we lost in our sin. This is what Christ came to restore. We were separated from God because of our sin. The Old Testament, the people, the Jews, Israel, are meant to be an example to us of humanity. God chose a people, a group of people, and he said, through you, I'm going to do something. I'm going to play out my redemptive plan for humanity using you as an example of how all of humanity should respond to me, but how you're actually going to rebel to me. And when we look and we read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, which I hope you guys are doing, I really hope that you guys are in God's word, letting it nourish your soul, pursuing God, talking to him, wrestling with the truths of this word. This is hard stuff. This, this week I got to get away a little bit and I went out to, um, 
Kelly Point Park, and I sat on the beach, and I was reading the stories in First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles. Man, it's really hard stuff, the way that people rebel against God, and then the punishment that they received because of that, and the, the punishment that their kids received because of that, and how their names are forever wiped out of the human race because of their sin. I read those stories, and I said, man, God, thank you so much that I live in a different time than they lived, that I live in, in light of the cross that they didn't have. So I, I pray that you guys are reading these stories, that, that, you're, that you're struggling with the truth of God's word. But the reason that we have these stories, the reason that we have Solomon, the reason that, that God builds a beautiful temple that he's going to inhabit, that's later going to get to be destroyed, is because we are sinful. He... he he allows an, an army to come inside of Israel and actually take that beautiful temple and tear it on every stone, rip all the gold off of the walls, steal all of the treasuries, and take it back and be put into a pagan shrine, a pagan temple, because God's people, even though they have him living in their midst, they rebel against him. Solomon, as the king who is meant to represent the people, He's going to lead the people into gross idolatry by marrying 700 women and incorporating all of their gods into Israel. So not only are you going to have the temple, it's going to be surrounded by Asherah poles and high places to all of these other gods. And we are meant to read that story and say, yep, that's me. That's me. I, I'm, that, I'm like Solomon. I wander to all of these different things. I, I know that God came and made a way for me to be with him, but, you know, I would rather go off and, and have this thing because this is what I want more. God, he's kind of like a, a second notion. You know, he's there if I need him. He's kind of my backup. If life doesn't go out, then, hey, I'll come run into you, God. But really what I want is I want my, my job. I want my career, my, my, my identity, you know, my success. These are, these are really my idols that I, I've built up around me. So even though the people of Israel, they, they had God, he was, he was living there with them, they were still incredibly sinful. And, and there wasn't a way for them to, to be able to completely be forgiven of their sins. They would have to make these pilgrimages to the temple where they would offer their sacrifices and find atonement for their sin. And then they would go out and they would go back on and sin. The whole reason that God allowed their, a temple to be built the whole reason that he allowed a temple to be destroyed is because he had a better temple that was still to come. Because at this moment, even, even when Solomon's building the temple, God's saying, you know what? There's another temple that's gonna come and this temple I'm gonna build in the womb of Mary. And that's the, the true temple. Because I love you so much and I so desire for you to be with me I'm going to make a, a better way for you to come to me. If you think the temple is amazing and it's beautiful, just wait until you see my son, right? So fast forward in the story up to the book of John. I want you guys to open up your Bible to John uh, chapter 2. So in the beginning of John, uh, John uh, in John 1 uses these amazing word pictures to describe what God has done, uh, and he calls Jesus the Word, right? We've, we've taught some sermons on this before. And in, in John 1, when he's talking about Jesus, Jesus is the Word, in verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we have seen the glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So God's saying, you think my temple was beautiful? Here's my, here's my Son. I, I'm going to, once again, God says, I'm going to dwell with you. Right? That's what, when it, when it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, it means it tabernacled. So God says, once again, I'm going to tabernacle with you. I'm going to come to you. Even though you're a sinful, rebellious people, I, I desire for you to be with me for eternally. So I'm going to come not just this time in a temple, not just this time in this one box, this ark, this, this holy place. I'm going to physically put on humanity and I'm going to come and I'm going to be with you. And not only am I going to be with you, it's not just about you bringing your sacrifice. This time, I'm going to bring the sacrifice. I'm going to bring myself, and I'm going to die for your sins. This is what Jesus was talking about in here. In John 2, 18, it says, The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us uh, for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken to them. So God once again comes to us through Jesus Christ, and he says, okay, if the temple was the way for you to come to me, now a greater temple has come. I am now the physical temple through me you will now have direct access. And Jesus says, I'll destroy this temple in three days. Jesus says, I myself will kill myself by going to the cross. And I will die for you. Because once again, I desire for a way that you can be with me. And Jesus dies. And what happens when Jesus dies? The veil in the temple is ripped in two, right? Remember those gold doors that we saw in our video? Later on, when Herod the Great rebuilds the temple, it's a large, like, foot-thick veil. That veil is ripped in two. And that symbolizes that we now have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. So once again, God with us. Emmanuel, I'm coming down and I'm providing a way for you to be with me through Jesus Christ. So it goes from a place to a person, God himself, but then it doesn't even stop there. It continues to go. Now flipping your Bible over to Ephesians. Ephesians 2.21. You know what? I'm going to do 1 Corinthians 3.16 first. Sorry to mess you up back there. So in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul's talking to a a group of people of the church at Corinth, and he tells them, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Well, well, hang on, how do do we get to this point? How do we go from it being a place to it being a person to now it being uh, actual us? Do you know that you are God's temple? Because once Jesus Christ died for our sins, we became right in the eyes of God. So he actually took a part of himself and he places it inside of you. 
the, the, the spirit of God, right? God exists in three persons. And I'm, I'm assuming you guys understand a bit of what I'm talking about here. It's a lot of theology, and I apologize for that if, if I'm losing you. But God exists in three persons, in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It says that after Jesus came, because we are now sinless, because of Jesus died, his spirit can actually come inside and it can inhabit us as his people. We can actually be the, be the people of God. Well, well why, why would God do that? Why would he come and, and actually live inside of us and make us his temple? We'll jump over to Ephesians 2, 21. It's good stuff. Ephesians 2, uh, I'm going to start in 19. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members in the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So God is actually using all of us together as a people to be his temple. So God showed himself through the temple in the Old Testament, a physical place. He came as the temple through Jesus Christ, but now he is revealing himself to the world through all of us through his spirit. So together we physically make up the temple of God. Do, do you feel glorious? Guys, this is, this is identity language, right? If you feel worthless and you feel depressed and you feel anxious, then you're not seeing yourself as the temple of God. Realize the, the extravagance of God's grace that he's poured out on you and not only saving you, but actually inhabiting you and using, using you now as his temple, the place that people can actually come to. The way that they can actually know and see God is through you as his people. I don't, I don't think we believe that. Right? I, I think that would change the way that we lived our lives if we started seeing ourselves as the dwelling place of God. That's what Paul says. You are being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? That's why, that's why sin convicts us. Right? Because God's Spirit lives inside of us. When you become... Uh, a follower of God's. And, and when, you, when you come and you come to the table, it's not salvation at this table here, but when you come realizing that Jesus Christ has paid this, the sin, your sins, that you're an idolatrous people, that you are a sinful person separated from God and you receive the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, his physical presence that dwelt in that temple that only one person could go in once a year because if anyone else went in, they would die. If they got too close, they would actually die. That presence that has existed beyond time and space, beyond history, beyond everything that we know and can imagine, physically is manifested inside of you through his spirit and is using you to accomplish his purposes. It's convicting you of sin when you sin against him. 
And it's causing you to return and to realize what Jesus Christ has done, to ask forgiveness. It's motivating you to want to be together, to be these building blocks and to be in community together, loving and serving one another. And it's sending you out as an ambassador to go into this world and into your neighborhood and into your family and into your jobs and to represent this amazing God who who is living inside of us. That's what God did. Man, God, please open our minds and our eyes to the truth of your words that we see ourselves the way that you see us. But it doesn't even stop there because God still desires to not only be with us in spirit, he wants to physically be, actually, I'm gonna say it this way. He wants you to physically be with him. Once again, remember, you were created to be with God and to bask in the glory that is his being. That's the whole purpose that you were alive, that you were made on this earth. And if you are looking for purpose in life and you're looking for meaning and everything else seems to be leaving you empty, if you've, if you've tried to find it in a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a spouse and you're like, man, that really wasn't as fulfilling as I hoped that it would be. And you try to find it in money and, and it's really not as fulfilling as, as you wanted it to be. And you try to find it in, in a job or a, or a hobby or something like that. And no matter what it is, you guys know it, eventually it leaves you empty. That's because you were made for something greater. What were you made for? What is the purpose that God created you for? Now jump forward to Revelation 21. It's the last book of your Bible. So this is the end, right? The, the, the book of Bible covers history. It has a beginning and it has an end. And, and in Revelation, we can actually see what the end looks like. God, through his grace, has, has showed us. So I'm just going to start in, ver- in verse 1 because it's, it's amazing. I know it's not up on the screen. It says in, in Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. For the first heavens and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So this is a point when the earth, the world as we know it, is, is, is ended. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And then jump forward to 22. This is John. He's looking, he's looking for the temple, right? John's always seen a temple. There was a temple in the Old Testament. It was rebuilt several times. Nehemiah is going to rebuild it. Herod the Great is going to be rebuilt it. It's going to be destroyed in AD 70 and is yet to be rebuilt, right? So he's looking for the temple. Like, where's the temple at, God? And it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. So in the end, we physically get to be with God. He says he himself will be with them and they will be his, his people. And he will be their, they will be his people and he, and he will be their God. And there won't be a temple. There won't be a need for the temple because we will actually get to stand in the presence of God to be with him once again. Man, that's, that's a beautiful plan that God has, isn't it? 
That's what we want to respond to today as his people. We want to we realize the, the amazing work that God has done through Jesus Christ, the plan that he had, and the role that we have in that as, as sinners needing forgiveness. And we come to this table as his people every week and we break bread and we drink the juice and the wine, remembering that God actually made a way for us to be with him. And we sing songs to him, realizing that he now inhabits us as his people. So the work that he's already done, but not only that, we look forward to the end. When there's no more pain, and there's no more crying, and there's no more tears, there's no more sin, and we will actually get to to walk into the presence of God and, and dwell with him. That's something to sing about, people. That's something to praise about. That, that'll radically change the way that you live your life. And so I invite you today to, to respond to God. Nathan has chosen songs in a way that, that leads us to a proper response to God. That's, he said, oh, let's sing these songs because these songs capture that. We're going to sing about Jesus and the blood that he, that he spilt for us. We're going to come and take communion. We're going to give of our tithes and our offerings as a response that God is truly working in us. God, I'm going to give you my money, which is a really hard thing to do. But it's an amazing opportunity for you to worship God with all of your being, even your finances. We're going to pray together. There's going to be people up on this front row that can pray with you. If you have something going on in your life that you need prayer about, you, you have direct access to God because of Jesus Christ. Come and receive prayer and see how God can work through, through your life, no matter what the challenge is. You also have an opportunity to, to confess Christ as your Savior today. If, if, you, if you're feeling that Spirit of God prompting you, the same Spirit that dwelt in the temple, that dwelt in Jesus, today desires to dwell inside of you. And if you want to come today professing Christ as your Savior, I'm going to be sitting up here on the front row. Come and, and, and talk to me. And, and let's talk about what God is doing in your life. Don't, don't leave ignoring God's Spirit. Because it's that same Spirit that created the universe. And He desires to, to be intimate with you in this place today. And then if you're a follower of Christ, I invite you to come to the table. Take of the, of the bread and the juice and, and see yourself the way that God sees you as his temple that he's using for his purposes and his glory. So let's pray to God today. Uh, Father, we come before you and, uh, and I just admit, Father, that, that many times I don't feel like your temple. Oh, Lord God, I, uh, I, I wander to so many other things to give me um, purpose and to find happiness, God. I, I wander the things of this world. And God, I just, I just want to tell you publicly that I, I don't want those things, God. I want you. So I just pray that you would continue to work in your spirit through me, uh, God, drawing me to you. Father, I pray in this room today, if there's anyone that doesn't know you, that, that they would be obedient to, to your call to not reluctantly come, but to joyously come and and allow the creator of the universe to inhabit them today, to be made right again with their creator. And to look forward to the day, God, when we will get to be with you in paradise. 
Father, I can only teach these words because it's, it's what you have done. And I can only pray to you now because of Jesus Christ. And I, I boldly, with confidence, can come before you knowing that you have a plan and you have a purpose and you are at work in this place, God. I just pray your will will be done uh, in each of our lives this morning. And Father, we, we just sing out to you now. We respond to you in giving of our tithes and offerings of coming to this table. May they be a pleasing offering to you, Father. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.